0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Acts, chapter 9, 32 through 43. The first part of this chapter is about the conversion of the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, In the second part, Luke takes us back to Peter and the beginnings of the opening that would lead to the word of God, the gospel, going to the Gentiles as such. So Acts chapter 9 from verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda, There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralysed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, And many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. And may God bless the reading of his most holy and precious word. Our text this morning is found in the chapter from which we read Acts, chapter 9 and verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. This book of the Acts is commonly referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but it is much better to think of it as the Acts of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. It is Christ who is acting, and so we have in our text this statement, Jesus the Christ heals you. It was not Peter who healed Aeneas, it was the Christ, Jesus, ascended on high and yet present with his church. We have here in these healings those which... The Apostle Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12 as the signs of an Apostle. These signs that were given to authenticate the apostolic ministry. And they are signs, they were signs that the Apostles were carrying on the ministry of Christ. And they were bearing witness indeed to him in his power by the Holy Spirit. And so we see here first the promise that Christ has given. Secondly, we see the power that Christ has. And thirdly, the presence of Christ with his church. And first we have the promise. Now the promise here lies in the background. First of all, Matthew chapter 28, that great those great pre-ascension words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, reading from verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And there is that promise of his presence. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As he says in the gospel according to John, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. His ascension is followed not by his absence... But by his presence with the church, yes, there is a sense in which he is absent, that is bodily, physically, we do not see him. We don't have the same relation that the disciples had when he was in Galilee, and they followed him as he travelled. And yet we have his presence, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is, of course, through the Spirit. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's a promise of his presence, first of all. Lo, I am with you always. It's a wonderful promise promise that Christ has given his church, I am with you. That's why it is that in the early part of Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9 and verse 4, the Lord Jesus can say to Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not my people, he could have said that, but me. Because Christ is present with his people, And he feels our sufferings and our sorrows. And they are his sufferings and sorrows. When we think of the persecuted church, we do not think only that Christ's people are being persecuted. But Christ himself is suffering in his members. We are his body and he is the head. And the head feels the sufferings. Of the members, yes, even the smallest part of the body, if it is in pain, the head knows it. Christ has promised his presence. He has said, I am with you. And it is a, a promise that he has fulfilled. We see this, of course, at Pentecost. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church was poured out upon the people of God. That when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house in where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pentecost was a one-off event. That's one of the reasons why we celebrate it, we remember it in the church's year. It's a one-off event. It happened. And it's an event that is the giving of the Spirit never to be taken away he abides with the people of God. That's why Pentecost cannot be repeated. Because it is the Spirit's coming. Now we see in the book of Acts these little events. That are sort of like little Pentecosts. Each confirming the word of God going to these different groups. So you have the word going in You have the word going to the people in Samaria. And the conversion of the Samaritans. Now, for Jewish people, the Samaritans were the most terrible heretics possible. They were the worst people. Never mind the Romans. The Romans were just pagans. You expect pagans to act like pagans. But the Samaritans... They claimed to be better Jews than the Jews. The Samaritans had rejected most of the Bible. The Samaritans claimed that their temple on Mount Gerizim was the place where God had put his name and not Jerusalem. And so that prejudice needed to be relieved. And then the prejudice existed against the Gentiles and we shall come to that in due course. But Pentecost itself is unrepeatable because the Spirit abides with the Church. Now we pray indeed for revivals when we see the Spirit's work increased, when we have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But Pentecost is unique Pentecost confirms Christ with his church by the Spirit. And so the promise then has been given. Lo, I am with you always. And he is with us that we may be his witnesses in all the world. And so we see Peter here. Peter went through all parts of the country. Peter is travelling around on mission. He is travelling preaching the gospel, he is travelling in that power, in that presence. He is travelling because he believes the promises that where the word is preached, there Christ is at work. He's there because he believes. Mission is the outworking of our belief in those promises lo I am with you always even to the end of the age his presence allows us to be his witnesses through the Holy Spirit so Peter here is a Christian leader acting upon the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has given and he came down to the saints who dwelt In Lydda. And there in Lydda, he receives news of a man who is disabled, unable to walk. So we see, secondly, the power of Christ, the power at work through Peter. Here is this ministry of visitation. It's notable that the Christians, the early Christians, are called saints. Only in this chapter in Acts. And they are called saints. Here first of all in verse 32 and secondly in verse 41. These are the only two occasions in the book of Acts when the people of God are called the saints. That is the holy ones, the ones who are set apart as God's special people. Those who are sanctified by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit sets us apart. And those who are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, that is, being conformed to the image of Christ. Being made fit for glory in this way, not in ourselves, but through the Spirit's holy work. Peter's mission seems to have been one of visitation to the saints, building up the churches, encouraging the churches. But of course all Christian ministry ultimately is about the saints. Because not everybody who is going to be converted has been converted yet. If everyone who was going to be converted had been converted now, then the age would have ended. So there are people who are going to be saints who are going to be set apart who have not yet been converted so christian outreach mission exists because we believe that god has people he will save and that he saves through the proclamation of the word so christian ministry is about the saints, both those who have already been converted and those who shall be converted by God's word. It's about gathering the people of God. It's about sanctifying a people, a people that Christ is sanctifying for himself. And it is the power of God that works and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, as the Apostle Peter, as the Apostle Paul rather puts it. And here, coming to Lydda, he found a certain man named Aeneas. Now Aeneas of course is a, a Greek name, it's the also the name of the lead character in Virgil's great Epic, the Aeneid, which is about the right, connecting Rome with the Trojan Wars. So, Aeneas is not a Jewish name. It's quite a popular name among Greek-speaking people, and particularly Greek-speaking people with an interest in Rome. But it would seem that Aeneas was a Hellenistic Jew. That is, he was a, a Jewish man who spoke Greek and lived in a, a Greek cultural context. Plinyus had been bedridden eight years and was paralysed. And we should here be seeing certain similarities to one of our Lord's famous miracles, the healing of that paralysed man who was brought to him on his bed. And that parallel is an important one. It's a reminder that this is exactly the kind of man who was brought to the Lord Jesus during our Lord's earthly ministry. So, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and verse 17. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. There were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who would come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralysed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. So we have a paralysed man is brought to Peter, or Peter is brought to this paralysed man. We're not told which. And Peter speaks to him. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Arise, take up your bed and walk, Jesus said to a paralyzed man. And here Peter says similar words. Arise and make your bed. But Peter adds that it is Jesus the Christ who heals you. It is Christ who does these things. You note that the man had been bedridden for eight years. For eight years he had been paralyzed, unable to walk. This is not something that could be faked. In those days there was no social security, there was no welfare state. If you were disabled, if you were particularly a man who'd been disabled for eight years... Men were expected to be the providers, the workers in the household. And so this man, Aeneas, would have been dependent upon the charity of his family. He would have been a man in a very difficult situation, just in that culture. And now, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. The power of Christ was there to heal, to declare that Jesus Christ is mighty, to save. Because the miracles of Christ are never ends in themselves. They're never simply about saying, this is power. They are active parables, they are signs, to use the language of the Apostle John, And a sign is always there, it's pointing to something else. A sign communicates a message that is not about the sign itself. But it points to something, just as you have the road sign that points and says, this way, for example, to Burslem. The sign there on its signpost is there to point you to something else. The miracles of Christ are there to point you to Christ. Jesus the Christ. This, of course, was the great dispute among the Jewish people. Is Jesus the Christ? Is he the one who was promised, or do we seek somebody else? When they asked that question to John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, There is one coming after me. But Jesus is the Christ. And here again there is that declaration, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, this man who was crucified outside Jerusalem is the Christ and he is very much alive. He is not one who has died and passed on and left simply a memory and left simply words, but he ha- he is with us. He is alive and he is working in the church and his power is Primarily, a power to save because you see verse 35 so all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord that Aeneas' healing is a message that Jesus is the saviour that he is mighty to save to deliver his people he shall save his people from their sins and that is why he is called Jesus His power is at work in the church to save. Now we do not deny, we cannot deny that Christ can heal today. I know of at least three cases that I can verify for myself of men who were given up up by medical science. And they were told, You will die within days. And they lived for years afterwards. And the only thing, the only thing that I can say is that people were praying for both those men. One of them was a pastor, a young man who had been called to ministry in a city church, whose ministry had just started. And had been attended by great blessing. And then he began to have headaches. He began to lose his train of thought completely in the middle of sermons. And everybody, including himself, thought it was just nerves that he was not used to these big congregations and these blessings that were coming. But it got worse until he went to the doctor. The doctor sent him for a scan, and the news came back he had terminal cancer brain cancer inoperable they could do nothing they gave him a few weeks a a few months at most it would just keep on getting worse and worse and the churches not just the church where he ministered but many other churches prayed for him and the cancer went into remission and the doctors were confused. They said that there's there's no reason why this should have happened. This is amazing. And he had a ministry of ten years after that. And then the cancer came back and it killed him. God gave that man ten years in answer to prayer. And I can point to that and I can say, I know that Jesus Christ heals today. Oh, not by the hand of somebody who claims to be a gifted healer, but in answer to the prayers of his people. At the same time, I can say, God does not normally do that. There is appointed to every one of us a time to die, it is in God's calendar. And when it is that time, he will gather his people to himself. But Christ heals today. We shouldn't insist that he always must heal, but we know that he does. And so we pray for those who are unwell. We pray that the Lord will heal. We know sometimes his will is not to heal, but sometimes it is to heal. And so, if anyone asks me, do you believe that... Christ heals today my response is yes I believe it but more importantly I believe that Christ saves today that Christ saves all those who put their trust in him that when we come to the end of our life of our lives here on earth if we believe in him We know where we are going. I know, says the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know that. And that is a certainty. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That all the Father gives to him. All of them shall come to Christ. The one who comes to him. He will never. Never. Never turn away. He will never cast out. I give to my sheep eternal life. He says. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out. Of my hand. He has power to save. And he saves sinners. This man. Is the saviour of sinners. This man gives life, abundant life to all who believe on his name. This man deals with sin. His blood can wash the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And thirdly we see the presence of Christ with his church. The presence of Christ At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, which doesn't mean a lot to us because we don't speak Greek or Aramaic, but it translates as a gazelle. And she was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. She was a disciple, one who follows Christ, one who learns of Christ. Many of the rabbis would not have female disciples. They would not allow women to learn of them. They looked down on women. They were raving misogynists, some of them. But the Lord Jesus Christ had and has female disciples. Mary, the sister of Lazarus and, and of Martha, sat at his feet... Listening to him, that's what a disciple does. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. Jesus receives men and women as disciples equally. In Christ there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. All are equally received by him, equally loved by him. All of his disciples are equal before him. And this woman who was a disciple was one who was full of charitable deeds. She made clothes for the poor and distributed them. But she became ill and died. And the disciples, apparently feeling that this was somebody who had gone too soon did not bury the body, but laid it in an upper room. Now, where have we heard that before? We find that with Elijah. The child laid in an upper room, awaiting the prophet to come. And since Lydia was near Joppa, and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Where have we heard that before? When Lazarus was ill, Martha and Mary sent messengers to Jesus to come and heal him. Of course, by the time they arrived, it was too late. Lazarus was dead. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. And the the sense here is that they were wearing those clothes. Look, this is what she made. These clothes that we are now wearing are the clothes that she made for us. And there they are, around Peter, talking to Peter, saying, Peter, Peter... Help if you can. What can you do to help us? And then Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And once again we have a a reminder of, or an echo rather, of the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 8. Verse 41, Behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And then, of course, they came to the house. But verse 49, While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. They could tell the difference between a dead body and a sleeping person. They were sensible people, and being people in the first century in that part of the world, they'd seen dead bodies before. Child mortality was much higher then than it is now. They had seen dead children, and they knew this little girl was dead. But he put them all outside. Again, we see that echo, do we not, in Acts 9, verse 40? Peter put them all out. took her by the hand and called saying little girl arise and turning to the body he said, Acts 10.40 Tabitha arise now there is a, a play on words here because in Aramaic Tabitha arise is Tabitha kumi little girl arise is Talitha kumi there is a Play on words here, an echo. Just as Jesus says to the little girl, little girl, arise. So Peter says, Tabitha, arise. Almost the same words. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. When he called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. So we see again this echo This is Jesus working through his disciple. This again is Jesus telling us the apostles are his true messengers. If the apostles had changed the message of Jesus, he would not be with them in affirming and approving their ministry. If they were false witnesses, as some claimed they were, there would be no miracles surrounding them in this this way. There would not be the signs of Christ, or the acts of Christ himself. And again, this leads to people believing, saying this message, this message that the Apostle Peter brings, is true. This message of Christ Jesus, Christ crucified and risen Christ for us, Christ Jesus our Saviour. And then Peter stayed in Joppa, and it's notable who he stayed with. Simon, a tanner. A tanner, of course, is someone who tans animal skins into leather. It's a dirty job, it's a smelly job, and it was an unclean job physically. Ceremonially, as well. Ceremonially, the Jews had great reluctance in handling carcasses. There were other things used in tanning that would make them unclean. Some of the ingredients used in tanning were things that uh, we would look rather askance at. One of them was human urine. It would be used to cleanse the cloth. People would actually sell... Remember, there's no no indoor plumbing in those days, so people would just put their pots outside and the tanner would pick them up. It was an unclean job. There was no Pharisee who would dare to stay with a tanner. The Pharisees would look at the tanners and say, well, we need the tanners, of course. They do useful things for us, but dear me, what a, a smelly, unpleasant, unclean job. But Peter goes and stays with the tanner, just as Jesus stayed with the tax collectors. As Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must come to your house and stay at your house today. Not because there were no other houses, but because he must stay with the outcast whom he will save. There are no barriers in terms of professions in this sense to the saving grace of Christ. There is no looking down the nose at certain people because of the jobs that they do, necessary and right jobs. Peter does not have this attitude of the the Pharisee that looks down at people. But rather Peter has the spirit of... Of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man receives sinners. And eats with them. The power of Christ. Is not simply a power. To, to deliver sinners from sin. It's a power to change the man within. It's a power that makes us humble. Gracious and loving. The power of Christ. The presence of Christ. The presence of Christ within makes us like Christ. By looking to Jesus, like him you shall be, as the hymn writer puts it. Looking unto Jesus, we are transformed, beholding as in a mirror. We are transformed from one degree of glory to another. We look to him and he changes us. He dwells in us by the Holy Spirit and we become like him. And we become those, just as Peter in our text, in our reading, mirrors Jesus to those around him. Now he does so, of course, in a special way because he's an apostle. There are no apostles today. But we, in our character, in our conduct, in our graciousness and our love, we, with Christ dwelling in us, we mirror him to those around us and we declare who he is and what he is like. Christ Jesus, Jesus the Christ, is with us and he is with us to the end of the age. Christ is with his church, in his church. He is not absent and he is in each of his people. And we are transformed. Into his image so that as Peter is in this very special sense as an apostle he is Christ to the people around him. So we are enabled to be in our ways gracious, loving and Christ-like to those around us. And by looking to Jesus, by our faith, by are seeking him, by his promise, by his power, by his presence, we may be like him and show him to others in word and in deed. Amen.